0: Greetings, and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today I'm joined by Sherry Smith. She was the founder and CEO of the Indigenized Energy Initiative, a nonprofit focused on eradicating energy poverty in indigenous communities. That's now been renamed. It's now the Alliance for Tribal Clean Energy. She has an impressive career in clean energy and now she's making waves on behalf of Indigenous people. Delighted to have her on the podcast today. Hey Sherry, welcome! Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Uh, I am wonderful, Ted. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, you're, you're you're kind to take the time out of your busy schedule. Where and where? Just physically, are you in Narragansett, Rhode Island, as we speak?
1: I am calling in from. The uh, checkerboarded Narragansett Reservation in Charlestown, Rhode Island, uh, we live on a piece of fee land uh, that was sold to the previous owners of this this house um, by the tribe.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay. So this yeah. tribal land all throughout New England, I mean, I, I think you were born and raised up in, is it Northern Maine?
1: I, w- I was actually, I was born and raised in in the Boston area. My dad um, and his family, um, were, are Northern, Northern Maine, um, mixed, uh, I'm, I'm descended through both of my parents actually. Um, but more closely through my dad's side, uh, from the Mi'kmaq nation of, of, uh, Northern Maine and the Canadian Maritimes. Um, there's over 20 bands of Mi'kmaq and, and, uh, you know, so, uh, Cape Breton and, uh, Nova Scotia, and that's where my native and. Scottish and French relatives all all met and and mingled.
0: So interesting. Now, did you think at all along when you were going to college that and your your early steps that you would be working on tribal issues?
1: Not at all. Nope. Um, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. In in my family, as is as is the case in a lot of um, mixed. Um, European indigenous, uh, families, the, you know, we were colonized, the tribes on the East coast were colonized really early. Um, the hereditary chief that I descend from was baptized Catholic in 1605. So the assimilation and, and intermingling of, of the cultures happened really early, um, on the East coast. And, So um, while my great-great-grandmother was Mi'kmaq and um, my great-great-grandfather was Scottish, um, and then we met, met, you know, marriages into French families mixed with Penobscot mixed with, it was very mixed, but we were raised to not talk about our Indigenous heritage because of the discrimination that our elders had faced. They didn't want you know, we suddenly were white passing in this, you know, generation of my dad, for example. And we weren't, we weren't allowed to talk about it because, um, bad things happened when people knew that you were indigenous. So I grew up, um, very, uh, yearning to know more. And as I got older, um, and became an adult. And, you know, I would travel to Maine and, and dig around in the history and the, and the genealogy. And I would go to, I've been to Canada and try and, you know, to, to find the origins of our, of our indigenous side that met with some consternation, you know, <laughs> on my, from my dad and, and my grandma, especially they're like, what are you, what are you doing? And um, so it always, it was always in my mind. And um, but then it wasn't until after I had been in the renewables industry for like the better part of it, two decades that I had the opportunity to visit, um, tribes in the, in Indian country, in, in, in the plains and the great plains. And when I saw firsthand the, um, the poverty and the extreme toll that, not not a lack of access to energy takes on people on reservations right now but um in that that is that is a problem you know 14% of native households don't have electricity in our country but it was more the energy poverty being caused because of the lack of um ability to pay for um uh, their energy because of the extreme costs of energy in Indian country. And we can get into that. There's there's discriminatory rate practices and things that we're trying to rectify now that are a cause of this. And so when you see this, what you know, if I were to explain this place to you, um, you would think that I was talking about a third world developing nation. When in fact I'm I'm describing Many um, hundreds of Native communities in our country in the 21st century, and when I saw that, and and I realized that my whole background in clean energy and in education and workforce, I I I had a network, I had knowledge, and I could bring this to bear on this problem. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, turn away. I I brought the idea actually to to Elon. I was at Tesla at the time and, and I brought the idea to him. Um, we were running projects. I, I, I took the opportunity to run some demonstration projects on tribal lands through our foundation that was at give called give power that was solar cities foundation. And we had great success in, in, um, tribal communities in Montana. Um, adopting clean energy because of of these demonstration projects and demystifying it for these communities who had you know only heard about it on television and when i brought the idea for basically what now is our organization to elon and said you know we can do this and and the old cliche we can do good and we can do well at the same time there's a way that we could make a, a modest profit and help so many tribal communities and um he didn't he didn't like that idea um at all. And so I and then that
0: is is that when you formed the indigenous, is it indigenous or indigenized energy initiative? Which which it,
1: is it it? It, it? it was both. So, it was, so that was okay. that was when we formed Covenant Tribal Solar Initiative. And um I, you know, bootstrapped that. I was still we merged with Tesla, Solar City merged with Tesla. I continued to work at Tesla and um and then there was a there was a, a tipping point where I said if I don't invest myself in this full time yeah. it's not gonna get done. So I lived off my Tesla stock um for six years and with a team of of folks um who were you know uh like-minded we stood up this covenant and then we we were being confused with Christian-based organizations <laughs> and Chief Henry Red Cloud, of Oglala Lakota hereditary chief who is on our advisory board, um, he asked, "Why did you call the organization Covenant?" and and I said, "Well, it's 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 in reference to um, the sacred covenants that that tribes have to protect and preserve Mother Earth." and and one of his um, his uh, right hand men says. Oh, we thought you were Holy Roller Solar.
0: <laughs> but now, what was the what was the purpose of that organization? Were you going to be consulting? Were you going to be trying to get grants and and funnel them to to the tribes? What was the what was the the, the business model or the business case there?
1: So back then, it it was demonstration projects. It was getting philanthropy to help us fund projects. To demonstrate the, the the literal and figurative power of clean energy to transform communities. Um to, you know, it when you bring solar to a household that is stricken by poverty, and you eliminate, you know, some of these bills in, in Indian country uh, in the wintertime, especially, or even in the summer with cooling, they're upwards of $80,0 for small homes and and so these are poorly built HUD houses that have little or no insulation, really inefficient electric resistance heaters and in the dead of winter when it's freezing cold um, you know they' they can't afford to pay more than a month's worth of heat if that and and then the the it's compounded by the fact that the utilities will come in and the the co-ops will will shut power off. And what I mean, this is this this is the deeper problem here that we were addressing. The reason why we even started this was because in those circumstances, people can't afford the the reconnect fees of a thousand dollars that the co-ops want. And so they end up resorting to burning things indoors to keep warm, uh, which is not safe and not healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we run out of things to burn indoors to keep warm, many people die of exposure in their own homes on reservations all all across the plains. And that is just unacceptable, right? So when you introduce solar into a home that is stricken by poverty like that, they're not, you know, using the the the, the avoided cost pays for things like medicine and better food and clothing for, for children. And many homes are multi-generational where you have grandparents taking care of dozens of grandkids. And so we were using solar um demonstration projects on the homes of tribal elders mostly to demonstrate to the communities that this is this is a technology that is not hocus pocus like many feel and that it 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 can um it's the cheapest form of you know new electricity generation and it that's all news to to folks that that um are living you know in these poverty stricken conditions and worried about survival every day so that's how we started and then over the course of the last, you know, five six years, what's happened is that tribes have become very sophisticated um, in their knowledge about the technologies that are out there. They just don't have the financial wherewithal, many of them, um, or the, the the technical and administrative capacity to even know where to turn for for this this funding. So that's where we came in, and with the IRA um, it, we, we crossed another threshold and, and, and that's, that's, that's what's going on right now. I know you were interested to learn about how that is impacting, uh, Indian country.
0: Yeah. Well, with, I'm just curious would those demonstrations then lead to, I mean, it's almost like you're teeing up while the old solar city model or the Sunrun model, the Tesla, you know, the, the residential solar leasing model that they have, are, are those, is that available on the reservations? It seems like no. with those really high avoided costs, that they, they would be a it would be a, very beneficial to have that third party financing.
1: It's actually they're not available, and and the reason primarily is, you know, on reservations. Now, we're, you know, we're not talking about so when I when I speak about reservations and that we were working on, it's not you know Aguacaliente where everybody gets a per capita check of with six figures in it every year or even every month. These are these are tribes that don't have commerce. They don't have casino revenue. They don't have, you know, uh any kind of enterprises to speak of because of where they're located mostly, um, far from major thoroughfares of of commerce and um in these, you know, Godforsaken corners of 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 state where nothing grows and there's no agriculture. And, you know, you don't have a lot of opportunity for 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 jobs um, and economic development, period. So the typical models um for solar n- no solar company this is why Elon said no, right? Most f- most folks in those regions, they don't have a credit score or or they don't have credit or they, you know, they don't they don't have jobs that can meet the requirements of these loans, these PPAs yeah. uh, or leases. So it's Most tribal communities out there are not markets for conventional solar uh, companies. Right. So the way we were approaching it was um, our original thought was to create uh, a model where we would use and And we did this um, uh, on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation where we secured a grant. to build, you know, 15 residential solar systems, uh, uh, three small community size systems and a, and a a one megawatt array. And the idea is to, to build it and have the solar fund uh, go into a fund, a revolving fund that would eventually become uh, solvent and, and, and then allow the tribes to, to reinvest in more solar. In the model that we created for the Northern Cheyenne, it, uh, So it was kind of like a PPA, but the tribe has uh, an LLC, which is the owner of the solar. And so the resident and the tribe split the the benefit 50-50. So 50% goes into an account that the tribe maintains to invest in more solar. And 50% of the savings go to the the homeowner or the renter who has the ground-mounted 10-kilowatt array on their land. and and this is under development as we speak like those those uh those those systems are being built right now so it remains to be seen Mm. if it's i mean it pencils right it works on paper but in tribal communities nothing is uh nothing is is a given i mean nothing is a given in any community but especially in tribal communities where where crises and trauma kind of rule um so that Was the
0: original? Let me let me see then if I get the and then the flow. So you, you went from covenant tribal S- solar initiative to indigenized energy initiative, and now it's the Alliance for Tribal Clean Energy. Do I have the chronology right or the yeah, the yeah sequence, there's actually correct? one more.
1: There's one more stop in there. So, stop. so without getting too political or or, or, or in detail, um, we changed the name from Covenant to Indigenized because of, of the confusion. Yeah. And then um, that one of one of the folks that I had hired um, who who uh, worked with us, um, he had been using the term Indigenized for a grassroots org um, in his community. And so when he left the org, um, he wanted to kind of take that word back. And so we said, okay, cool. So we, we, we started using the, the IEI became indigenous instead of indigenized, but because of the out literal outcry from tribes since the passing of the IRA, um, we have with the support of philanthropy and our, our federal, uh, colleagues and partners and our other NGO partners, we have stood up the Alliance, um, it is exactly we believe what is needed at this point and it 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 became crystal clear over the last 6 months how we could best serve tribes and so the evolution um the evolution it was slow at first and then it, the last 6 months have been like just a whirlwind. Um, of- well, let's
0: let's break it, Sherry. Let's break it down a little bit. Let's talk about first what did the IRA, what is the IRA providing, uh, and then and then what is your alliance? I think you've got multiple programs that you're operating now. But first, start with what is the IRA providing? And I know that out here in California, you know the California Energy Commission has been has been you know giving grants or preferential access to grants for for some years, and now the IRA I think is doing the same thing, right?
1: Well, yeah, the IRA is a big deal, right? So in in August of 2022, um, the House passed H.R. 5376, the Inflation Reduction Act, and it was touted as the most significant bill in a uh, climate bill in US history. And it's far from an environmentalist's ideal. As you know, there's a lot of compromises in there, including carve outs for, for the oil and gas industries. And um, you know, intended to garner the support of Senator Manchin, but um it 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 does um it does allow our government to do what climate scientists have been advising for several decades, right, to make a serious investment in decarbonizing our energy sector and in it and it really incentivizes the transition from extractive and exploitive fossil fueled energy to clean and regenerative energy sources. And the question for tribes is: is it, is it does it encourage a just transition? I myself and my team were more than cautiously optimistic. Uh, the IRA includes more than 272 million in climate and energy investments tailored for um, tribes and administered by the BIA, by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And this funding is earmarked for climate resiliency efforts for um, as well for, for fish hatcheries and, and drought mitigation programs in tribal communities. It also authorizes over 150 million for a new program to electrify homes that don't have electricity as we were saying earlier, it's yeah. 14%, right? And to improve energy efficiency um, in homes and tribal buildings. 145-ish million of that funding is being provided directly to tribes, and then BIA takes the rest of that for administration, and the money's to be spent over 10 years. The other thing that the bill did that is so encouraging is that it expanded the U.S. Department of Energy tribal programs, and it authorized more than 75 million in loans to tribes for energy development. And then the loan guarantee program and our, you know, Jiggershaw and, and, and Matt Ferguson at DOE, like we've grown up together in this industry. And, you know, now we have gray hair and we have this, we're working together on this beautiful um, loan guarantee program, which it expanded from 2 billion to 20 billion. And the team at DOE at the Office of Indian Energy um, Policy and Programs, Wahala Johnson, her team, David Conrad and Tommy John- Jones and you know, her whole team, they have really made a concerted effort to listen to their constituents and advocated for this much needed legislation. Um, I know you've heard about, you know, there's a lot of talk about direct pay and among the most impactful provisions of this bill is, is the two tax rules, direct pay and the transferable credits. And you're familiar with that, right?
0: Well, yeah, but why don't you explain it for our our listeners?
1: Sure. So under the direct pay provision, uh, tribes can elect to treat the amount of certain specific credits as a prior payment of tax which then allows entities with little or no tax liability liability nonprofits and like tribes to accelerate the utilization of these credits so this provision is a game changer for 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 tribes so it's it's equivalent it's like taking the ITC and you get the 30 they get 30 percent immediately just as an equivalent to the ITC right off the bat. And then there are adders. So it is possible, feasible for certain tribes and certain geographies to actually achieve a credit of 70%. So you start with that 30% equivalent to the ITC off the bat. You get a 10% adder for building on tribal lands. You get another 10% adder for using uh, predominantly uh, US-made gear. Uh, you get another ten percent for building in what's called a, um, uh, I think it's a clean energy zone, which is basically where um, fossil fuel development has has abandoned the region and left people jobless. There's another ten percent for establishing um, uh, paying uh, prevailing wage and establishing um, apprenticeship programs. So there's your potential for seventy percent. So when this does a few things, you know, it it makes renewable energy development on tribal lands exponentially more beneficial. And with tribal lands holding enough potential to power the entire country, bypassing these traditional tax equity structures and, and utilizing that 20 building and funding from the tribal energy loan guarantee program really has the potential to unlock this beneficial cycle of self-determined capacity building within the tribes. And will hopefully lead to a liberation from federal dependency that's what the alliance is about is helping to helping the tribes supporting them as they build their own capacity to identify which funding streams are best for them apply them bridge the gap in any financing and and to to build these projects by you know by native people for native people and employ native people wherever possible
0: how exciting. That's that's fantastic. And and I really appreciate your description of the of how tribes can achieve seventy percent uh, tax credits and and how, how wonderful you achieve the seventy percent and then take the next thirty percent and then a loan in a loan uh, with a loan guarantee from the federal government. That's pretty it, it is it sounds very pivotal. So what is the what is the biggest challenge right now, Sherry, in, in, in all of this for you and for the tribes?
1: Well some native communities have the technical expertise and capacity
0: yeah. um,
1: being in this business. Ted, you, you understand, you know, the knowledge and, and, and the skill sets and um, the staff that uh, whether it be a municipality, a school district or, or a tribal nation needs in order to engage in this level of, of development that's really going to move the needle. Some communities have that, but the majority do not. And so without the expertise and the capacity capacity building support of technical financial policy and workforce development experts and and training experts, even the most well-funded projects run the risk of failure. So even, you know, and we've seen it time and time and time again, where tribes have applied for federal funding, um, and then failed to execute. And then they end up owing hundreds of thousands of dollars to the government because they didn't have the capacity. On the other side, they rely on developers that promise them the world. Oh, we'll write the grants for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we'll build this project. And, you know, we'll give you cents on the lake or for your land. And and then all of the value of those systems goes off res. So, yeah, we're we're the antidote to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the um the technical capacity uh, is is really what you're you're bringing. And then are you reaching out to the tribes or are they reaching are they coming to you? How does that is it a little bit of both?
1: It's we haven't had to reach out to tribes they are calling. Okay. Um, it, it has been so since the IRA um, the the influx of of inquiries has been steady since the, the the bill was passed last August, we hosted a tribal energy equity summit in at the end of May. And that's where we announced that, the, that, that with our philanthropic funders, um, with, with the MacArthur Foundation, the Energy Foundation, and others that we were standing up the alliance in the five, six weeks since that summit, uh, we've engaged um, officially with over two dozen tribes already. And those projects, and you know, it is the different levels of engagement depending on the needs of the tribe. Sure. But in that group of projects, there's uh, three gigawatts of solar that that stands to be developed.
0: How fantastic! How many how many tribes are there? Is there is that a simple question?
1: Yeah, there's five hundred. Presently, there's five hundred and seventy-four federally recognized tribes. There's hundreds more that are have state recognition or are not recognized. But yeah. right now, it's uh, there's five hundred and seventy-four.
0: And they're all eligible for these all this IRA funding. Yes. Um, you you your organization has a guiding principle that I don't know if I can pronounce Etwa Mump. <laughs> Edward Monk. Edward Monk. Yeah, you did a good job. Uh, Edward Monk, and that's that's about two-eyed seeing. Can describe that principle, please.
1: Yeah, um, my ancestors realized, as we were talking about earlier, um, when the settlers came, um, that if they didn't find a way to work together. Um, that there would be problems um, tr- translated to English among means two-eyed seeing. And that literally means the willingness to see from one eye, the strengths of indigenous wisdom and knowledge, and from the other, the strengths of Western knowledge and technology. And, you know, since first contact, my ancestors applied this to daily life because, you know, they recognized if if we're going to have successful and beneficial relationships rather than conflict that, We must espouse that attitude of cooperation and respect for different perspectives, both for survival and to protect the earth. And our organization really embodies this way of thinking in the way that we're a team of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, that we're we're united in our beliefs, in our desire to support the self-determination and sovereignty of Native American nations, and by our, our really our even the non-natives among us, our collective understanding that traditional indigenous knowledge and ways of knowing are there have had profound and 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 um, long established uh, positive impacts uh, on our planet, and you know the value of collaboration and the appreciation of differences is important if we're going to to succeed at at halting climate change, and um, many of our tribal nations feel that you know they're on a on a path to extinction because and that's that's a tough word right extinction you think about plants and animals you don't think about humans but many tribes are dwindling the numbers are dwindling and and the the impacts of climate change um on on the on the planet and on economies is is devastating and this represents hope you know It really does. And um, young people on reservations that are uh, that don't see a future, when we when we come and show them that, you know, here's a here's a job that you can do right in your own community that's in line with native ethos and life ways. You don't have to go, you don't have to leave the res. You don't you don't have to, you can stay here and build this infrastructure with your your fellow tribal members. You can learn a skill and, and have a, have well-paying jobs and be proud of the work you do. Um, and, and so many struggled with working in coal mines and working in coal plants because it paid the bills, but it was completely, you know, flew in the face of their belief systems.
0: Yeah. Boy, yeah. oh boy. Boy, Sherry, thank you so much for your time today and, and for what you're doing. And you are the, you are the perfect person to be leading that charge. I I know I can see, and you're having that, that background, that ancestry that, that does combine those two, those two sets of perspectives. So Well, Well, thanks so much. Yeah, great to meet you.
1: Yeah, great to meet you. Thank you so much. I look forward to working with you out in the field.
0: Good stuff. Have a great day. That's it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.